thanks for listening and joining us. I'm your host, Steph, a health promoter at the Bulimia Anorexia Nervosa Association in Windsor. This is the podcast, Be Yourself, Happy, Healthy, Hopeful. On this podcast, we will explore topics related to health, mental wellness, and creating a happy, healthy, and hopeful life full of opportunities for yourself. Today, my guest is Sarah Santa Rosa. Sarah Santa Rosa is a PhD candidate at the University of Windsor in Human Kinetics. Today, we'll be discussing her research that relates to the role of mothers in guiding their daughter's social media journey. She researched the effect of social media on body image and self-esteem. Sarah has collaborated frequently with Banna in the development of presentations and workshops around this very important topic. Today she's here so we can discuss some of her research, get dwelled right into the nitty gritty of it. She is a positive role model, athlete, colleague, and I'm happy to say she's my friend. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Steph. What a great intro. <laughs> I'm really excited to be here um, and to be talking with you. Uh, I think this will be a really fun experience. I think so, too. Um, it's all a new um, venture for us, so I'm happy to be doing it with you for the first time. I know you, um, You, we. I gave you a little brief intro audience about Sarah, but I thought to begin, straight from Sarah's mouth, we could learn a little bit more about her and um, how she has collaborated with Banna initially. Um, so I uh, began in human kinetics a long time ago. Uh, this is my 12th year at the university. So I did both my undergrad, master's work, and now I'm doing my PhD uh, at the tail end of it. Um, but my original intention was to go to med school. Mm. Uh, and I've always been really passionate about wanting to help others. And I thought that was kind of how I had to do that. Mm -hmm. And after writing my MCAT and doing okay, I didn't feel like it was the right path anymore. So I was introduced into the research world by Dr. Sarah Woodruff. And she had been collaborating with Banna at the time. Uh, and also I had seen Banna do a presentation at the university. And at that time, uh, the health promoter was Mia, and she was really funny. And just the way she was delivering the material got me really interested um, in eating disorders and really what Banna was doing in the community. So my original intention actually for my research had nothing to do with that. I went into my master's wanting to look at protein and how it affects mm. ALS patients. So oh. very different path, but that's kind of what it's like in academics. It's a roller coaster and lots of twists and turns. Uh, but then I had the opportunity to collaborate with uh, the health promotion team. And I noticed that there was a need to address how social media was influencing how we think and feel about ourselves. At the time, there really wasn't uh, too much research about that topic, and it's probably because social media is still fairly new and ever-changing. So I began researching with the university population where uh, BANA provided an intervention um, at being a conscious consumer of the media, and we were looking at how that intervention um, influenced body image and self-esteem and eating behaviors 
in addition to how social media also played a role in all of that. And then I really, really wanted to work with mothers and daughters. So that became my PhD life and where we're at now and uh, why I'm here talking to you today. Wow. Okay. So it's been quite the journey. So exciting. And um, to give a little more information regarding how we collaborate together, um, not that long ago, I think it was October, we ran a series of workshops that were specific to this research and the findings of this research, right? Um, and we called it How to Be a Positive Influencer on and Offline. Um, so if you can tell me a little bit more about the focus groups that you ran with those young girls um, as a part of that research, because I think th that was really interesting, especially I think the audience would love to know more about that. Yeah, so um, as part of a dissertation, you are required to do three studies. So my first study was a series of focus groups with moms and girls. And the idea behind that was to understand more about the mother-daughter relationship online because we know in the offline world that how a mom talks about food or talks about her body or her weight and even physical activity and kind of all of those psychosocial health variables can really influence how their daughters think and feel about themselves. But this relationship hasn't really been explored mm -hmm. online, in particular how um, mothers and daughters engage on social media um, or social networking sites and how if a mother's behavior or attitudes or beliefs on social media will then influence uh, their daughters. So mm -hmm. the focus groups, uh, they ran with young adolescent girls and then mothers as well. And we asked them the same questions, but just parallel, meaning um, we asked the moms about their daughter's use and the daughters about their mom's use. And from that, um, a number of different themes came out mm -hmm. and those themes kind of helped build the basis of uh, this workshop that, right. that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, so for example, some of the themes that came out was like, the mom needs to be a role model online. Um, it's also very important to be your authentic self while you're online. Uh, it's important to connect offline. Um, so those are a couple of the mm -hmm. themes, but as a follow-up study, we wanted to do some more quantitative work. So we did a survey, mm -hmm. again, mothers and daughters both took the surveys, and then we wanted to see the effects of the mother's behaviors and if it predicted the daughter's behavior. Um, and the way that we set up the analysis could really tell us that. So what we found was that the mother's behaviors are, so that's like the type of photos that they're posting, if they're interacting with their daughter, um, those behaviors are influencing their daughter's body image um, right. and self-esteem and eating behaviors, physical activity as well. Uh, so from all of that research, which <laughs> took a couple years to collect, uh, the third study was then to bring that all together and create this workshop and these knowledge translation tools. Um, and, you know, something like mm -hmm. this, this podcast where we can kind of relay the messaging uh, to a broader audience um, mm -hmm. so those positive influencers can understand the impact that they can have on young people mm -hmm. through social media. I love that because um, as the work I the work I do at Banna as a health promoter, one of the biggest asks of us is to reach those parents. Um, 
which is not always easy. Um, but I think the interactive workshop that we built together and also things like this, like the, the podcast and the interactive um, online resources that you have that go along with it are a great way to reach those parents who are seeking help with related issues um, to social media because no parents have navigated this landscape before. It's all new. And a lot of parents have concerns about how it's affecting um, their daughters and their and their sons' self-esteem and uh, mental health in general. We know that mental health uh tends to decline with more time spent on social media. So definitely a need in our community. And um, it's always fun collaborating with you too. So um, in the title itself of our workshop, we said, you know, we use the term positive influencer. So what is a positive influencer to you, Sarah? That's a really good question, Steph. I mean, uh, who in, who is it in the community? And then how can you or what are the qualities of a positive influence? Yeah, good question. Um, and I'm not sure there's one correct answer um, because it can look different um, mm -hmm. to a number of individuals depending on maybe what you're looking for. Uh, in I would say a positive role model is, uh, or positive influencer is a role model to you and um, based on your specific needs. So, um, through the online world, we know that you're able to connect with people who maybe um, are going through similar struggles as you. Uh, and these communities are created where you can support um, other individuals in, in that group. Uh, I think that a positive influencer is somebody who needs to be authentic in that online world and the offline world as well. Um, what I look for in a positive influencer or a role model um, is somebody who is being themselves, yeah. um, <laughs> but also somebody who's spreading positive messaging about weight and appearance. That's a particular topic that's really important to me. So whether that be who I'm following online or when I'm having conversations with other people, I look for people who um, make me feel good about themselves uh, and whether that be, you know, building themselves up in a way as well, but also reflecting that onto other people I think is important. Um, mm -hmm. And I really believe in the messaging that BANA preaches to the community. Uh, so that's something that I look for in the people that I surround myself with and try to be myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you did know um, a lot in terms in preparation for this talk you did note how that was super important to you that authenticity and it really came out in what you've put on the paper um and i feel like you just live and breathe it right because uh, it's part of your work and it, you can't ignore it right so um in terms of specifically how social media can affect our body image and self-esteem i wondered if you could maybe talk a little bit more about that. Um, I alluded to it when I said that it's involved in my work in eating disorders. And then as a follow-up question, do you think you're savvy enough to identify when something isn't real on social media? So that might help you with even yeah. talking about this question. Yeah. So in terms of research, uh, there's research showing that spending more time on social media can have a negative impact on body satisfaction. 
And that's probably due to social comparison, right? right? Because we're seeing how people are living their lives or the things that they're doing or that they're eating. And we think and feel that we need to compare or be like those people. Um, mm-hmm. Although we know that on social media, most of the time people are only posting the best aspects of their lives. So that's always something to keep in mind. Um, from the research as well, we know that how somebody interacts on social media, media meaning the type, the types of comments that you're receiving on your posts can also impact your self-esteem. Um, so there's some research that shows getting those negative comments, um, whether that be about your appearance or, mm-hmm. or just something negative in general, um, can be detrimental. But what we're also seeing is that those appearance-based comments, which we know are um, probably the majority of what uh, we're giving and receiving online. So those would be, you know, commenting on looks, appearance, um, and not necessarily on those internal qualities. Uh, so even though they may make us feel good in the moment, they can actually have long-term negative effects on our self-esteem. Mm. Meaning that if we are constantly having to compete with ourselves and what we're posting, um, that can you know, harm how we think and feel about ourselves. So if you've posted an image that maybe you spent, you know, 45 minutes editing and it was your best selfie out of the 100 that Mm -hmm. you took and a lot of time and effort went into that post, you selected the best caption. Um, And we know that this happens uh, a lot, especially with teenage girls. They post that photo and then they receive, you know, a slew of these really what seem to be positive compliments on on their looks, uh, it can actually harm them because then they're feeling like they always need to one-up the next post. Uh, so there's been instances where young people are actually removing images if they didn't get, you know, meet a certain number of comments or um, likes on a photo or specific reactions that they're looking for. Things that we didn't have to grow up with, right? 100%. This is the reality for young people. Yeah, Yeah, popularity is very tangible now. Um, I know growing up in high school, there there wasn't a number that you could attach to popularity. And now it's really easy um, based on, you know, those friends and followers or likes and comments. Um, And then to follow up with, you know, do (laughs) I think I'm savvy enough? It, it, that's a that's really hard because I often reflect on um, I think sometimes I become hypersensitive to things that I'm seeing online, mm-hmm. meaning that I because it's been my life. This research um, has just you know consumed the last several years that if I am seeing things online that I know like this is something that would affect body image and self-esteem um, and that I shouldn't let it affect mine. I, I still am. So for example, uh, I follow a lot of like physical activity and fitness accounts. And there's been times where I've had to really do a social media cleanse because I'd be watching, you know, they post a workout video and maybe I hadn't done anything active that day and I'd start feeling bad. Yeah. And I'm like, this is what I talk about all the time. Um, So I think it's good to set your own boundaries and check in with yourself. Even if you are the most savvy person, you know all the research, um, you're an expert in the area, I think there's still an opportunity for it to impact how you feel about yourself. And that's just because we're all human and 
it's human nature. Yeah. And that's um, as a health promoter going in and educating young people on this topic. That's something we say to them, too. Like, this is completely normal. But we're wanting you to use um, logic mm-hmm. and know that, you know, this is only the best of the best moments that are usually being posted, the highlight reel. And you're only seeing a real small slice of that person's life. So to compare yourself to that is just an unrealistic comparison and not fair. Right. Um And I like back in one of our presentations, we used to tell them, oh, like we showed Sarah at five years old or whatever (laughs) in her soccer outfit. And we'd say, if we had to get this validation or this feedback, we would literally have to go door to door and be like, hey, like, what do you think of my outfit? What do you think like I look like today? Whereas they're getting it so instantaneous. Um, Yeah. Um, So do you think that parents are are aware to the craziness that's going on online because some of the stuff that you have shared with me that young people have shared with you it's a little bit scary um in terms of social media so do you think parents are really aware of it um i think some parents may have a a little inkling of what's going on but i think a lot of other parents are really in the dark about how um, influential this online world is. Uh, in particular, there was a focus group that I did with a group of teenage girls. And what really came out was how moms really don't understand what they do online can influence their daughter's mm-hmm. offline life and reputation. So for example, you know, a mom might be posting a photo for their daughter's birthday and they think it's really cute um, and they do it without asking their daughter. And this is, a you know, a teenager who's going through a lot of changes and we know um, their brains aren't, they're still developing, they're figuring themselves out and they're very sensitive to um, how, how they look and think and feel about themselves during that adolescent time period. So if a mom's posting this image and, you know, the girls were talking about how embarrassing it was Mm. to them. And then in offline at school, their friends were making fun of them. Um, So something that really came out of the research was it's important that um, the moms and daughters collaboratively create a digital footprint. Uh, So a digital footprint is really that um, you know, what you're leaving online, your legacy online, right? <laughs> so it's the the posts that you you leave, the comments. Um, it can either even go into, you know, the sites that you're visiting and it's just your history. Right. And not only do you contribute to your digital footprint, but um, others contribute to it as well. So mm-hmm. if you're a child and you have a parent who's constantly posting photos of you, um, that is creating an, an online presence for for you. Um, so, you know, it's important to, to have those conversations where things become a little bit more collaborative, meaning that um, maybe you're asking your child's permission or um, opinion on the photo that you're posting, because mm-hmm. you may think it's really cute, but it could be extremely bar- embarrassing to them and have some negative consequences that you're not intending on having um, towards them, but it could happen. Uh, and with the digital footprint as well, as a parent, you want to be really conscious of what you're putting online because in 10 or 20 years, uh, if you're posting maybe something that seemed funny at the time, uh, 
would you want your adult child looking back and, you know, seeing those things? So the girls talked a lot about, um, you know, moms talking about their wine nights or they're going out with their friends Mm. and maybe they're posting photos of them drinking. Bikini shots were also a big no in the girls' minds. They didn't Mm. think that was appropriate. Um, So I think that goes back to being authentic and and that role model and who you want to be towards your daughter because those behaviors are influencing them as well. Right. So um, daughter's always looking at mom still as that role model online as well. It's so interesting what what has come out of the research. Um, Okay. So maybe I will shift gears a little bit and I, on, um, for your personal journey, um, when this project is kind of fully completed, which I, you can see the light at the end of the tunnel after all the hard work you've put in, I'm curious as to what those next steps might be for you going forward. Now that you have this knowledge, um, how might you use it or, or where will you take your career? Okay. I definitely am very passionate about uh, the research uh, world and what I've been doing uh, specifically with BANA and in the community. So I think moving forward, uh, it's important for me to feel that I am making people feel good about themselves. So in whatever role that it may be, um, that that is something that's important to me. So um, whether that be a specific job or with the relationships I have with other people, uh, really um, making other people feel good and have confidence is something that um, I aspire to do. Uh, I definitely want to stay connected to uh, BANA and the the research that I've done here. Mm. Um, so moving forward, I hope to c- continue in academia, continue doing research, helping others, um, and just being that positive influencer. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> um And I have to ask this because you are such a confident person. I know a lot of young people look up to you. So what have been some major contributors to the development of your own self-esteem? So, Do you know? Yeah. You know what? It's not an easy one to answer. It's not. It's really not. And, um, you know, in thinking about, you know, what we were going to talk about today, I there's definitely been a growth in... Mm -hmm. Um, in my confidence, and I think I owe that, you know, to to those people in your life, right? Like your parents and your right. peers; those are, those supportive people are always really important. But I think for me, um, there's been two really important groups of people, and I think that um, I started working at the YMCA when I began mm. university, and I just being surrounded by like-minded people and people with the same personality and that positive energy. And, you know, we were impacting kids and I just really felt connected to the work and I felt that I was doing something really meaningful. I think I really began to grow as a person Mm -hmm. at that time period. It was a really transformational learning experience for me because I was working with kids um, downtown and it was just an environment where I really didn't think that existed in Windsor, Essex County. Mm-hmm. I grew up, you know, in Amherstburg and I went to a school that was primarily white European kids. Um, everybody was pretty well off or, at, or so I thought everybody was like right. me. And I think it was just a really big reality check. And yeah. I think that 
was a driving force in the way that I wanted to act and behave moving forward. Mm -hmm. Another big group in my life is my soccer girls. Um, You know, soccer has been just a really positive outlet for me for, you know, most of my life, but really coming um, into a team with adults has been a really positive uh, experience for me. Um, And just a really, it's good to be around good people. Oh, I love that. I can totally relate to what you're saying about your YMCA experience as well, because the work I do now, when I am exposed to working with um, young people who really value what we're saying, giving them the education, and you can tell they're so grateful, I find that really fulfilling and and transformational as well. Okay, so I want to do a couple fun ones while I still have you here. So let's do... um, a fun question. And I want to ask you about maybe the funniest thing that you've ever seen on social media that gave you a shocked reaction. Oh, okay. I wasn't expecting that <laughs> question. Okay, I, I know. I just threw you off base um, with that. Okay. So honestly, it has to be... Probably what really inspired my research. I don't know if mm-hmm. it's funny, but it definitely gave me <laughs> the shock reaction. The shock reaction. So maybe okay, funny uh, or shocked. Okay. So, yeah. So shocked <laughs> was really what inspired all of this research was I saw a post from a young girl, and you've heard this story, but mm-hmm. um I've saw I saw a post from this young girl who, you know, said, um, it's 2014, I have no friends. Um I haven't lost weight. I have no money. And it was just really negative. And I thought, oh, this is so sad. But the mom was the first person to comment and said, oh, you're skinny. You're beautiful. And I thought, wow, that's a really weird thing for a mom to comment on this post that's, you know, about so much more Mm -hmm. that must be going on in this girl's life. So that is kind of was a spark. I was really surprised um, that the mom had reacted that way. And I thought, okay, there has to be something going on with how, what, what is this dynamic like and how does it impact, um, you know, how she then thinks is is skinny. What's being the most important because out of that statement, there's just, it's so heavy. There was so much more behind Mm -hmm. it. At least I thought, Uh, so that was probably something that really shocked Shocked me. But was also a really pivotal point in my research because that's when I became interested in this area. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, definitely shocking. I've seen some crazy things out there. Or young people will tell us about some funny things um, of what like personas they're putting out there, and it's nowhere close to the reality of the situation. So, um, so yeah, definitely some interesting things. Okay. Oh, okay. Interesting. So, (laughs) all right. So let's talk about maybe that biggest obstacle that you encountered while doing this research, because it's been a long road and it's been ups and downs, I'm sure. Was there something that stands out that was an obstacle? Yeah, I think in research you become, or in academia really, you become, um, used to failure and used to those roadblocks and those obstacles and having to be creative and innovative and find ways around things. Uh, Things are always delayed. They always take longer than you expect. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even getting ethics behind some of these studies can take months. Uh, so I think for people who um, either are the on the receiving end of the research, they may not realize the amount of time and work that go into getting some of these findings. Yeah. Um, so some other major obstacles I would say is always recruiting participants. Um, and I think yeah. if, you know, if you if you have the time and you see a, a research poster or flyer to, to do some participation, you, know you just, should. Just in the experience working with you, when I see a poster, I consider it now. I'm not, I'm not lying. I'll be like, you know what? This person needs participants and it's so hard sometimes. It's a challenge. You sometimes you have to provide that incentive, like that $5 Tim's card or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. 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 That's a huge challenge is being able to um, recruit people because it, it can be easy if you see the value in the research, but uh, maybe the yeah. in the long run there'll be value towards you, and it's just not something that's instantaneous. So that that is an obstacle and, and takes time. Uh, and then there's always just logistical things that that come up and that you need to find workarounds. Uh, but you know we make it work and just you know be resilient and move forward mm-hmm. for whatever comes our way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you mentioned Dr. Woodruff prior or in our conversation. And um, I actually had Dr. Woodruff when I went to the Faculty of Human Kinetics. So I did a full circle moment when I got my BANA job because uh, she was the board president at the time. Um, And she's definitely passionate about this subject matter as well. I was just curious if you could mention how her guidance through this experience have, has, has had shaped it or um, what role did she play for you? Dr. Sarah Woodruff. Oh, she has been a huge mentor for the past seven years of my life. Uh, And I'm really lucky to have um, been able to work with her and continue to work with her. Uh, She, I think the the biggest way that she has impacted this research is allowing me to do what I wanted Mm -hmm. because for anybody who's looking to go into a graduate program or um, something where they're going to be doing research, having a strong mentor and somebody who's going to be supportive and that relationship, at least for, for me, it's just so important. Yeah. Um, because I've heard horror stories of some fellow graduate students who just become really cynical through the experience yeah. because that relationship isn't there. Uh, Sarah and I, if we go a couple of days without talking, it's weird. So we're, mm-hmm. we're in constant communication, which I she think is really great. She was at your great. wedding. I yeah. was there. Yeah. Um, she was at the wedding. She's just been such a huge part of my life. And when I came to her with this idea of, of wanting to look at, you know, social media, and I also from the get-go had this long-term plan of wanting to do a community workshop with Banna, mm. uh, she was like, all right, let's go for it. And she hadn't done any research in social media. Uh, So this was totally a new area for her, but we were able to create this niche or this hub within the department and almost started like a new vein of research um, looking at all of the the impact that the online world has on on psychosocial health. Such a needed piece of information. Absolutely. And we were able to, uh, you know, publish a lot. We were able to create, um, she now has a lab it's the CHU Lab, so Community mm. Health, Environment, and Wellness. 
And uh, she is like the the one prof in that lab and has all these students, you know, working for her and under her and with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just seeing the growth of the lab has been something that I've been really excited to be a part of. Um, and it has also created these full circle experiences because uh, when Dr. Woodruff was on sabbatical, I got to teach her course at oh, the university. So it's fun. a... Yeah, it was a first year health and wellness course with, I had almost 200 students in there. And I, that's been one of by far my favorite experiences throughout my PhD. And I was able to create some really meaningful connections with some of the students. One of them who um, became interested in the work that we were doing with social media, she was a volunteer at BANA Mm. and, um, not only was she involved with this uh, this research, my dissertation research from the beginning, but she has now started her master's uh, in the lab. So mm. we're really lucky, and and you know, there's always going to be that connection to Banna with with the lab. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. It's nice to have a community of people, like-minded people, and also that mentorship. I think is really important. Um, Okay, so if you had to give a piece of advice to someone thinking about entering a research program or just academia in general, what would you say? I would say that you you really need to be doing it for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. And this is not against anybody who has used a master's for this, but I think it can be a fallback. Because it kind of was for me, too. Um, You know, my first goal was I wanted to do med school. And then um, it's not that I ever felt like I was settling. But I think if you are going to pursue something in research and have this really amazing experience, uh, you need to be doing it for the right reasons for you. Yeah. Um, and that looks different for every person. Uh, for me, I knew I wanted to go as far in my education as I could and then becoming very passionate about what I was, what I was studying and what I was researching, uh, was just a, was a bonus and it, it made it very fun and it made my experience, um, really, really meaningful. I think that if you are, going into research or academia, it's a lot of uh, work and sleepless nights. And I always say like your life is here in in one spot and then it kind of feels like everyone else in your life is moving forward and you can feel really stuck because people's lives are accelerating around you. Uh, And, you know, in the long run, is it worth it? Absolutely. But at times it can feel very isolated and alone. Um, so having to be resilient is probably one of the biggest character traits that you need yeah. um, in in higher education or in, in re- the research world. Yeah, and in life. And in life, absolutely. <laughs> Resiliency. Okay, so um, do you have a favorite memory either related to edu- your education or just related to the work you've done at BANA? Okay, I, I definitely That's more of a have, fun one, too. Yeah, I definitely yeah. have a couple, um, you know, really, really fond memories. I would say through my graduate work, I've gotten to have some really great uh, internship experiences. So I worked with uh, Sandy Richard, who was a 
host for Food Network Canada. Mm, um, and I didn't know that about you. Yeah. So I lived in St. Catharines. Oh, well, I didn't know that. And <laughs> I, you know, I got to make food look TV ready. I helped with recipe development. Uh, yeah. And that was just, I learned a lot of different skills working with her. And uh, that was really fun. Um, I also had an internship uh, in upstate New York at SUNY Cortland University. Uh, and again, being able to work with somebody who was very different than Dr. Woodruff. Um, so I worked with Dr. Foley and he was, you know, from California, very laid back. Mm. Um, and we had a lot of fun and I specifically worked with athletes with visual impairments and that was, that's not really a group of people who I had been exposed to before. So these are athletes who are legally blind and they're doing gymnastics or they're horseback riding or they're running, you know, races. It's, it, that was a wonderful experience as well. Um, there's mm-hmm. just so many. So yeah. those are just two, you know, examples that are sticking out. All the conferences I've got to travel yeah. around the world. Um, I've been to Hong Kong. I've been to um, various places in Europe to present uh, our research, which has just been uh, wonderful. And in terms of BANA, there's a couple really great moments that stand out. We, uh, this past spring, we presented at NEDIC. So that was the National that. Eating Disorder Information Center. Yeah. So that was it's a big located deal. in Toronto. Yep. Yeah. And that, so that was great. I feel like we were working towards that for a really long time. Uh, when we got to do the PD day, um, workshop yeah. for the teachers. So we presented, that was the public board, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And a little in-service for the te- the phys ed teachers specifically on some of these findings, what's going on on social media and um, how it relates to eating disorders. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like through that experience, getting the feedback that the, the teachers wanted tools or aids in how to deal with some of the impacts of social media felt really promising and like the research was moving in the right direction. So getting that feedback uh, was really great. And then, uh, I mean, just going into the schools and and talking with kids and sharing that knowledge with them um, has just been really important to my graduate work because I think that research needs to be able to be translated to the general population and to people who actually need to use it or otherwise what's the point of doing Mm -hmm. it if you can't deliver it in a way that people can understand and use then I'm not sure um you know why why what's the why behind it right yeah actually my time at Vienna has taught me that too through the work I'm doing with you as well as other work in collaboration um with other projects and researchers that we've worked worked with there's that why piece and like the applicability of the research that I've learned like like you said, why why are we doing this if not to actually apply it, right? So, so important. Um, okay, so I thought this, for me, this is an interesting question because we talked a lot about young girls and how their social media activity influences their body image and self-esteem. But I'm just curious, have you ever thought about if um, you had sampled young boys or maybe the relationship with Um, a male figure in their life and how the findings would have been altered. Yeah, I think that that's definitely an area for future research and direction. There's some changes going on with just in society, I think, and 
um, the image of masculinity and what that means. And it's, it's coming to the forefront. I Definitely. Think. Yeah. I think that there's so much to talk about in terms of gender and um, those relationships between um, whether it be somebody who identifies as a boy or a girl and then the, those positive influencers in their yeah. lives. So teachers, social workers, um, camp counselors, their parents, um, exploring those relationships will be really important moving forward because I think it is something um, that is at the forefront and that's being talked about and that can have an impact on how young people think and feel about themselves. In terms of specific findings, um, I know there is some research that shows that mothers have an influence on their sons and fathers mm. can have an influence on sons and daughters as well in terms of weight or even musculature. Mm. Uh, so seeing if that translates into the online world would be interesting. Uh, research does show though, however, that fathers are less online than mothers and uh, same mm. with boys are less online than mm -hmm. girls. So that's why the starting point for this yeah. was really the moms and the daughters. Um, but moving forward, it'd be really interesting to explore further dynamics and relationships online. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Lots, lots to research. <laughs> always. Yeah, always. Okay. So in terms of taking care of ourselves, because we all are inundated with so many images day after day, uh, and we're making comparisons. Um, but at the end of the day, you got to take care of you, right? We all know that. And that brings me to the term of self-care, such a buzzword these days. But um, I thought it'd be interesting to ask you what you do for your self-care, because you have the knowledge of how it affects our mental health. So maybe you're even extra aware of how important that is. Such a good question, Steph. And <laughs> self-care is so important and something that I have really put effort into improving, yeah. I think, over the last couple years, mainly because I would spend, I still am a night owl. I'll stay up and, and do yeah. work, but... When I'm deep in my slumber, yes, we're the exact I opposite. doing work. Yeah. And um, what I used to do was I'd just be doing work all day and I would stay at the university till really late at, at night in my office doing things um, but I really s tried to set a boundary for myself that I would go in and take a break. And that self-care portion is through physical activity yeah. for me. Um, so that's a, that's a huge outlet. I have my schedule, things are color coded yeah. and I have my, you know, nightly activities that I like to do. Um, and I really think that has helped with my, my stress level for sure. Yeah. Um, but also just my my energy and feeling more positive um it's important to take those breaks and find time for yourself because i actually find i'm more productive if i do go and it's either yoga or kickboxing or i have soccer um whatever it may be i feel like i'm more productive uh, the next day or even afterwards if i need yeah. to stay up and finish a little bit more um so i think taking those breaks has really helped me become a more efficient worker um and it, it's kind of backwards because in your head you're like if you're taking mm -hmm. feels like you're taking time off um but in the long run it, it's it's really important just for your sanity yeah yeah movement for sure for me is a big one and as I've gotten older I've realized 
um, how all of those little extra things are so important in terms of making you feel your best at the end of the day. So making conscious effort to fit them in, as you said, keeping that schedule um, and giving yourself permission to do them so important. Yeah, and I think another thing that I'm learning is to be okay (laughs) if you don't match the schedule or do what you had intended and just being okay with, okay, I didn't get to that tonight or I I wasn't able to accomplish that and really um, moving away from this idea of having to be perfect and perfectionism and and just, you know, making it through uh, day to day and finding those things that make you feel good. That's what's important. Um, So accepting the fact that you might have failure or flaws um, and that that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good advice. Wise, Sarah. <laughs> okay. So I wanted to get to this one because, um, we are really hyper aware you and I about comments made around food. And I find, I sometimes find myself in a room with, you know, friends or acquaintances and they'll make a comment about food or about their body, such as, oh, don't judge me, I'm going for seconds or, oh, a moment on the the lifts, forever on the hips or, you know, like, um, oh, I looked really bad in that or that picture because like my gut's hanging out when really I didn't notice that at all until they mentioned it. Things like that. So self-deprecating comments or just negative language around food. So how do you, so I have a, this is why I'm asking, because I have a hard time with, you know, just standing by and not saying anything. I know they're at their own place in their own journey when it comes to that. But how do you maybe deal with that? Oh, good question. (laughs) Sometimes, I don't know, sometimes I'll give you a side eye. I'll be like, Sarah, can you telepathically feel what I'm feeling? Yeah. Yeah. I think that uh, this has also been something that I am trying to be more confident in saying something. something. So um, Shauna, who was in your position before, she is, she is very vocal about the banner message. And I really respect the fact that she can do that. We'll call people out on that or, um, I mean, she has called businesses, organizations out on some of their messaging Go Shana. before. Shout out to Shauna. Yeah. Shout out Shauna. I I really respect that. Right. Um, and I think sometimes it's easier to just sit behind and not say anything or worry about um, hurting other people's feelings. So I think there's yeah, a way never, to approach it. Right. You never know how it's going to be interpreted. Mm-hmm. Right. And we are, are already very careful about making comments about appearance so I think maybe I'm hypersensitive in even saying anything at all because I'm like, well, how is that going to be interpreted? Because I know that some of the intentions are at their best, right? Like they're not saying things to be negative. It's, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think that uh, coming at it from a place of love or diverting the conversation or finding moments where you can educate others on language around food when maybe there isn't food around would be some other advice. So um, I don't know if you can casually throw it into conversation, (laughs) but I think too, when people start to really understand your values and beliefs, then not that they're scared, but they're, they become a little bit more conscious of what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know what I've noticed? Um, They do come to me like on, maybe not in a group of people, maybe it's a text message later because 
on something like, oh, like this person made a comment about my body and I know you'll understand. So like if if you're somehow throwing it into a conversation at one time, it might actually be beneficial at another time that you don't even know about, right? So um, it's sometimes just planting the seed, right? Yeah, I think that's I think that's really important. And I think too, sometimes it can be awkward if people don't know you and what you do or what you <laughs> yeah. preach and they, they've kind of made a comment because I've had somebody make a comment at the gym about me or my body, my arms and yeah. things. And I, it really threw me off because I think sometimes you are surrounding yourself with those like-minded people or um, when you are involved in, in this area and you're thinking about it all the time, it really threw me back and I didn't know what to say, but then I was actually feeling self-conscious about myself. I'm like, snap Mm. out of this. Like, this is what you, you preach. But, um, so it can, even if you're hypersensitive, it's the same as like with the social media stuff we were talking about before. Even if you are an expert or consider yourself an expert, there's still room for it to impact how you feel about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, it, it brought to light in my mind. I was just talking to another coworker of um, at Banna, and we were talking about what happened with Julian Michaels. And um, if you're, did you see that? Oh, mm-hmm. so she she was in an interview and she made a comment about you know why are we talking about Lizzo's body? Because a lot of women do found, find Lizzo, the musical artist, very inspiring because, you know, she's out there. She's, she has her curves and she has a lot of talent in music. But she was, Jillian Michaels was saying, well, why are we even talking about her body? The interviewer did a really good job at kind of pointing out that, you know, she's a role model for a lot of women yeah. out there. Um, but me and, me and our, my coworker were saying, it's so interesting because we live it, like I was like, oh, like there's still people who don't really understand that whole discussion um, and how it holds so much weight for, for individuals. Or if they're just trained a certain way, like Jillian Michaels, she's a trainer, mm-hmm. is that it's not, um, it's something, you know, she's trained that way and that's what her belief is. But I was saying to our coworker, like, wow, like people still don't really understand it. I guess we are still in a bubble and I don't expose myself maybe enough to outside of the bubble um, so I just, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think we always take for granted the knowledge that we have. And yes. I know for myself, I've, you know, you, you learn things through your education and we're privileged enough to have, um, all of these opportunities. And then, you know, when you're surrounded sometimes in other groups and you're like, really, then you have to reflect like, okay, you know, I've had these opportunities and maybe they haven't been yes. exposed to that. That's important. I'm going to gonna think keep about that too. mantra in my the back of my head now. And when I'm in that situation, Sarah, I'll be like, you know what? We all come at it at a different angle. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So um, we had you fill out a few sentences on in preparation for this. And one of them was, I am, and you, and you completed it as fulfilled. And I love that answer. So why did you choose to complete the sentence this way? Like, what does that mean to you? I am really trying to be happy with my life in the moment. I think it's, it's, it's awesome. That's so nice. I'm really grateful for the things that I have. And sometimes it's easy to uh, be negative or complain about things or see maybe things in this, you know, this idea of this glass half empty yeah. way. It's sometimes it's just, you know, you're in a mood and it's it's easy to just be really negative. But I 
have really been trying to put in intention into my life is awesome and I just have all of these really great things and I do feel very fulfilled um, in this moment and just owning that and, and being happy with that and trying to, to stay positive even when, you know, when things aren't going my way. Mm -hmm. No, I really, I like the way you, it wasn't what I expected as someone to fulfill I am. Um, so I really like that answer. It's uh, not always easy to, to look at the glass half full, but something that I try to do a lot as well. Um, yeah. Okay. So in terms of, um, other than the workshop that we developed in sharing your findings that way, I'm curious if there was any other creative outlets that you were able to find a way to share the, the information or do you, um, in terms of publication, do you yeah. know where that will be published? Okay, so the research that we talked about a little bit earlier, those studies are all submitted for publication at a number of different journals. Um, but something really cool that we created through the workshop that maybe we, we didn't talk about was the cootie catcher element. Forgot about the cootie catcher. Yeah, so there's a little debate on what to call this particular <laughs> tool. But if you remember, you know, maybe from your childhood, is this piece of folded paper, you put it in your hands and you were like spelling words and picking numbers and it kind of told your fortune. Um, so we've been calling it a cootie catcher because that's I what I grew up calling it. I think there was an Arthur it. episode where they called it a cootie catcher. So that's... That's what stuck with you. <laughs> Thank you, TVO kids. <laughs> So we created a really great cootie catcher that also acts as a resource for parents. So that's something for just to do a plug with the workshop. If you're a positive influencer or a parent or a group of parents that want to um, experience this workshop from BANA, it's something that you can do by getting in touch uh, with Steph and the team at BANA. And then you'll be exposed to the Scooty Catcher, these really great activities, and then hopefully coming soon, a virtual learning experience. Right. Which where, is really cool. Yeah, you'll be able to create, um, you know, a contract, an online contract collaboratively with your child through a choose-your-own-adventure type of pathway if you at all read Goosebumps. And I know how to Goosebumps fuck that was choose-your-own-adventure. It's similar about, to, like, like that. the 90s right I know. <laughs> Throw um, So... Maybe talk a little bit more about the contract. So I'll just say that I guess um, it's been effective in a lot of homes to to implement a contract. So what might that look like? Yeah, so with this uh, web-based application that we're making, basically through the decisions that you make and the choices that you make, you come up with almost like rules or more so expectations that you're going to follow um, in a household. And it's really important that those expectations follow your family values. That's something that the research states is important. So doing it together and really getting that input from both sides is something that mm. will make Mom it... Mom and daughter. Yeah, yeah, make it so that the uh, contract is actually followed. So that can look like maybe setting limits on the amount of screen time or maybe it's asking permission before posting a photo and that could go both ways. Yeah. Um, so we know some moms came into our focus groups with rules that they had for their their children. Um, but it's also on the flip side, maybe the mom is going to ask permission uh, before posting a photo of, of their daughter. Uh, so it's just a series of, of expectations that are generated based on how you chose to answer 
um, the adventure, like your way through the adventure. Mm -hmm. So that's something exciting that we're hoping uh, will be out in the near future. So stay on the lookout for that. Yeah. It'll be posted on the BANA website. Right. And as Sarah said, feel free to get in touch if you are a positive influencer or have a role in a young person's life because the information itself, even though it's st statistically um, more significant because of the research with moms and daughters, I do think it applies to that type of positive influencer relationship. So a coach, a teacher, um, a child and youth worker, daycare, well, all of those roles. that you, If you work with youth, I think it's valuable information. Yeah. So you can reach me at stephanie.bana.ca if you wanted to book that. Um, okay, so... We're getting to the end here. So I had an idea. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, got a cough. Um, because the title of our podcast is Be Yourself, Happy, Health, Happy Health, Healthy and Hopeful. I'll get that eventually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I thought it might be a great idea if we talked about those three aspects of your life, how you maintain them. So how you maintain happiness, what makes you happy, or just what you think about when you think of the word happy. Healthy, what does that mean to you and how do you think um, you can maintain that day to day? And hopeful, up for interpretation. However, like maybe what are some hopeful opportunities that you anticipate coming for in the future? What are some dreams, some aspirations? Um, because all of those things really do have to do with making your best self, I think, um, in the future. So it comes back to that be yourself motto that Banna is so, so stands behind, stands behind so strongly. Okay. What do you think? So this is a little challenging, but Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm going to start with, um, healthy and just going off yeah. the top of my head. What I think of is balance. Um, so me, for me being healthy means having a balance and that's a balance in, um, everything that I do in terms of um, physical activity, wellness activities, being creative, um, the food that I'm eating. Um, Such a good word. All of that goes in. So balance is definitely what makes me feel healthy. Um, enough sleep, another yeah. thing, mm. but balancing. Um, in terms of happy, I think uh, two things. One, cooking makes me really happy. Oh, love it. Um, which is just kind of random, but that's yep. something that uh, makes me happy. What and do you, like, What do you cook? Um, Sarah recipes. Yeah. <laughs> I just like making stuff up stuff oh, and nice. sharing it with other people. But I think having a passion for food and, yeah. um, you know, sharing that with others is something that makes me happy. So I guess what ties into that is relationships make me happy mm -hmm. um, and fostering those relationships. That's something that I get a lot of fulfillment out of. Um, and I think doing that with food and meals is, is something yeah. that I do and, and makes like me feel happy. The really little things in life, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then hopeful, I think, uh, would be that I am hopeful that I continue to grow as a person and find opportunities that challenge me uh, to move forward both personally and professionally. So that's what I'm hopeful mm -hmm. for. Um, in the upcoming years. I love that too. I'm sure um, a lot of exciting things are on the horizon for you, Sarah. Go share the knowledge with the masses. <laughs> Thanks, Steph. Yeah. Okay. So um, before we wrap up, is there anything else that we didn't get to that you wanted to talk about 
or any question for me that you want to throw back at me. Oh, I like that. Okay, the Steph, floor is I'm going to be the host. So, Steph, uh, why don't you tell me um, your number one piece of advice for somebody who is trying to reach their dreams? Oh, okay. My number one piece of advice. Okay, so I guess my number one piece of advice is even when you think it's the end, it's never the end. Because, um, and then I know this is cheesy, but I'm a cheesy person and there's always a, some truth to it behind it. So um, an end is always a new beginning, right? And you're always on this path that's guiding you to where, where you're supposed to go in the end. It's kind of like trusting the process of timing and um, knowing that you're being led in a direction for a reason. And um, when it comes to your dreams, like Sarah was talking about with her research, like it has to mean something to you, right? So dig deep and figure out what that is and stick to that. When when you get a roadblock, go back to that thing um, that motivated you in the first place. Um, of course, let's never quit. It's funny, we were in a classroom today and we were doing the Kahoot, which is just like an online activity for the kids. And the one girl goes, I quit. And then the teacher's like, you can't quit, keep going. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I was like, yes, yes. Like teach them young because um, there, that roadblock is there for a reason. It's teaching you something. So learn from it, go back to what motivated you and move forward. There's always a solution. Um, yeah, so that's my number one piece of advice is um, keep going. All right, so let's. Uh, is that the last question you have for me, sir? That's it. All that. right. So it was a real pleasure delving into your research and talking to you on the podcast. If someone um, wanted to find out more about you or more about this project, where could they find you or um, what could they look at to get, gain more information? Yeah, I, you can look at, Banna has a actually an extension for the research. So it's uh, banna.ca slash mom media. So if you go there, there's a flyer actually for the research and my email address is on there. So if you needed to contact me, but I'm also on Twitter. Um, mm. So you could, that's kind of the platform I use to share research related things. So you could find me um, online and maybe we can link my Twitter handle with when the podcast gets released. Yeah. on the show notes as they call it. Okay, great. <laughs> All right. So thanks everyone for listening. Um, I'm Steph and this was my guest, Sarah Santa Rosa. We are so happy that you followed along today and we hope to have you here again in the future. If you're looking to find out more about eating disorder services within the Windsor Essex community, please visit our website at www.bana.ca and we will catch you next time on the Be Yourself Happy, Healthy, and Hopeful podcast. Thank you. Woo! See you next time. <laughs>